Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Howard Lindzen, general partner at Social Leverage, a VC fund that wrote one of the first checks into Robinhood and many other great companies. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about starting his career as a stockbroker and also stock twits, his community to share investment ideas. Leave the podcast a review on iTunes this week, and we'll select someone to get a free resume review or mentor session with one of the WSO pros. So yeah, please leave us a review. In our new segment, Trending Topics, this week, user IB Potential, if you take my advice here, I do see potential for you, asks about LinkedIn messaging. Pen and Pencils says, it's a numbers game. You can just copy and paste short LinkedIn messages to tons of analysts and associates across the street. That's true. Cold networking is a numbers game, and it can be super valuable. I can trace back a lot of the success in my career to cold emails, but that's emails, not LinkedIn messages. An email's different. It sits in your inbox and stares at you. I don't think anyone stares at their LinkedIn messages. It's crucial you send an email over a LinkedIn message. I have sent hundreds of both trying to get guests for this podcast. And the result from cold emails are magnitudes higher than from LinkedIn. I think I can count on one hand the responses I've gotten from LinkedIn messages. And funny enough, I'm the same way. People send me LinkedIn messages, and I really don't even think to respond to them. But email is different. I respond to every email that I get. There's so many tools to get email addresses. LinkedIn Sales Navigator will help you guess email formats. I use Rocket Reach, which costs money but is awesome. It guesses the email address when you're on someone's LinkedIn page. Sending a LinkedIn message is lazy. It says, I'm not smart enough or scrappy enough to find your email. People want to be helpful. Give them a few sentences on how and why they can and should be helpful to you, and you should have good results. Include a referral from a connection you have in common, and your chances, they'll go up even more, And if you send it from a .edu email address, that's just the best. Not bad for a quant says, admittedly, a LinkedIn message isn't the absolute best way to reach out to someone. Fine. If you're not going to take the next step of finding the email, something is always better than nothing, says another another. Sometimes I myself address the awkwardness in the very first sentence, saying something like, apologies for coming in cold here, but I just had to email you because dot dot dot. That's my two cents here. As always, send me stuff you want to talk about on the show. Alex at wallstreetoasis.com. 
no need to hunt for my email. Howard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, I'm super excited to be speaking with you. Actually, honored to be speaking with you. Um, you've got you've had an incredible career, kind of across the public and private markets. Um, you were a hedge fund guy. Now you're an early stage investor. That's not that common. Um, so start us off in the beginning. You started off as a stockbroker, but tell us, you know, how you got your start. Uh, well, my start. I, I'm 52. So I would say my career is, you know, in the finance industry, what is it, Warren Buffett's earned, got 99% of his net worth after he turned 50. So I think in our business, it's more about, it really starts in your 50s, uh, investing. And um, I think what's exciting about this business is when I started in my 20s, uh, the mentorship was much, di- there was a much different path to, you know, finding your style and finding your rhythm and finding a net building a network to be in the investing business. So, you know, born in Toronto, um, moved to the States for graduate school, uh, Arizona state university when I was uh, in my twenties and then stayed in Arizona, uh, for 25 years and went to uh, Coronado for 10 years, get the kids through middle school and high school. And now, uh, kind of with my wife, empty nesting, living on a plane between New York, uh, Phoenix, and San, and Coronado, San Diego. But I got my start basically as a stockbroker. Uh, in Phoenix. In Phoenix. I graduated with a master's degree in business in the school called Thunderbird, and it was the end of the Gulf War. It's hard to get a green card. So, so basically I, I chose – to be a stockbroker because that was really the only way I could get sponsored. Didn't want to be a stockbroker. Um, just needed a way to be in the United States and I got sponsored. Um, but I, I just fell in love with the market into, you know, not on purpose, just uh, by chance. Yeah. So was this like Wolf of wall street stockbroker or like more like an established firm? You're just kind of calling on millionaires all day long, trying to get them to uh, invest in the market. Uh, no, not Wolf of Wall Street. Um, had lucky I had a great mentor at the beginning, this guy named Pat Ryle, older guy, kind of like a Minnesota conservative guy. You know, Medtronic was a Minnesota company. It was like buy blue chips. Uh, not that I was interested in that, but that was the years that uh, the banks had bottomed after the SNL crisis. And then you had um, Starbucks going public, Blockbuster. Uh, back in the day, a compact computer and the tech revolution, Intel. So it was kind of, you know, a little bit of everything, but it was a cold call job. Uh, it was a lot different back then. You had to get through secretaries and actually use the phone and uh, face-to-face meetings. And, and uh, it was a different business back then in terms of commission and how things worked. Right. But what this job did for you is it exposed you to the markets and you said, I like doing this. I like investing money and looking at businesses and maybe there's something here for me. Yeah, I, uh, I really do think it's a language, right? I, I, I wish I had, you know, when you become a stockbroker back in the day, the idea wasn't to know anything about stocks. The idea was to just sell, you know, whatever the simplest product or the uh, the, the the whatever the products the company wanted you to sell um i think what happened to me and 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 maybe in hindsight you know one one thing great about the asset 
management businesses. If you do it for 20 years, you're going to make money, even if you know nothing about the market, because uh, you're, you're building relationships with people and gathering assets. You know, my thing was I didn't care about assets. I just got fascinated with the game of the market. And so uh, that led to this journey and, you know, probably took me 20 years to get half decent at it in terms of, you know, keeping your costs down and, and buying great companies. But uh, now it's so easy for young kids to kind of uh, find mentors really quickly. And, and although it's harder to get a job in the industry, and it would probably take you longer to be successful within an organization. Uh, now there's just so many great products and communities to, to kind of learn. Right. And okay, so you're establishing this skill set of investing in the markets, and then uh, there was there was like an early stage angel investment around this time, right? Yeah, and cold calling. Um, I I stumbled across this uh, this guy Mark Scatterday. Cold called him. He had a, a startup company. It seemed like he was successful. I called him. He was not successful. Uh, he was just marketing, promoting himself, and in my first. Uh, real angel investment. It was a company called uh, Pro Innovative Concepts. They made a product called The Grip. Uh, long story short, it became like a pet rock uh, during the era of QVC, which was the internet before the internet through 92 to 97. QVC you know, basically was how you sold things. It was Amazon. And um, came kind of a pet rock product, uh, sold you know, $40, $50 million worth of this product. It was manufactured in Tempe, Arizona and uh left being a broker to run this company with my we became a you know my best buddy and traveled the world selling squeeze balls uh with corporate logos and to retail so I, I was in the consumer product business the ad specialty business and we were making a lot of money which led me back to the market because i started trading stocks with the profits from the company. And, and, uh, that's, so that's really how I started learning about the market. Right. So Howard, how old were you when you, when you made that investment and like, what was it? A couple thousand dollar check? I think it was, well, it wasn't an investment. It was more my time and checks to help him pay the bills. And I don't even remember the amounts probably worked out, you know, to around 25 grand over the course of six months. Um, and it was 1994, so 1964. So I was, I was, I was older. I was uh, mature at that time. So I was at 94 would have been, you know, 28, 29 years old. Right. But writing a twenty, a twenty five thousand dollar check for a 29 year old that's never done that before and into one company. I mean, that's not how you would do it today, but that worked out for you. I, I still think that's how people should do it today, especially if, if. You know, you got to take risks when you're young. I was kind of a late bloomer for whatever reason. Uh, I like school versus work. And I obviously had to get sponsored in the States. But um, I would encourage parents more than kids because parents have the money now uh, to let their kids uh, make investments. And that's why, you know, Robinhood and StockTwits and, and, you know, sites like yours, Wall Street Oasis, Patrick's at, at Wall Street Oasis, where, where people can learn. You know, I, if my son came to me and said, Dad, there's a vape company or there's a uh, kind of a, a clothing e-commerce company that uh, a kid friend of mine started at school. Uh, here's He's got a PowerPoint presentation can, and I'm, I, you know, I want to get involved. I, I would I can't think that I would be I, I would hope that I'm more excited than my parents were for me. So 
uh, in, in an era of of the social web and in a shrinking world, you know, you want your kids to be passionate as soon as possible about something. So if it's investing, if it's investing, if it's being a number three at a company or a number 10 at a company, then so, but they need equity. You know, young kids need to work for equity, not cash. Um, you know, in an era of Netflix and Uber, you can live pretty cheaply in Airbnb. Um, it's all about getting equity. So the, so the sooner I could get as much equity in companies, the better. The more paper you have, I know people don't like that, but the more paper you have, the better, especially at a young age, and let that uh, let that con- just build build piles of of stock in companies. So you're talking about public and private. Just you 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 work at a company, you make seventy. You know, yeah. get just get you know buried in 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 it. And that, if that means you're you're passionate about design or or fashion, uh, find the companies that interest you and just get in the door somewhere. And if it's sales, it's sales. If it's customer support, it's customer support. Every company, every startup needs customer support and sales. Right. Okay. So you've made this an angel investment. You're working at this squeeze ball company now. You've still got this passion for the markets. What happens next? Um. Well, it wasn't my company, and we, although we were great friends, I mean, we were making all kinds of mistakes, you know, uh, and, we, you know, I just, my passion for the market over, you know, overcame my passion for being, you know, number two, number three in the business. So I started a hedge fund in 90, June of 98, with some money from the family that that, that owned the business and friends. And just went out and started my own company. Started investing in the public market. Yeah, I think it was about six million bucks that I started with, and then the uh, Asian contagion happened like a month after I started my fund. So it was a it was a crash course in learning the market. You know, right. I, I had only seen the market go up from ninety one to ninety seven, so I thought you know investing was easy. Yeah, I've only seen the market go up. I graduated from school in two thousand nine. I mean, I had to graduate right in the middle of the crisis, but as soon as I started investing, the market's only gone up. I don't know what it's like to lose money. And yeah, people people forget that that uh, you're a product of the environment. And for me, um, ninety one to ninety seven, I mean, didn't matter what I invested in or touched, I was making money. And so to finally truly learn what it was like to manage through a crisis was my ninety eight was the first time I learned that. And then obviously two thousand. So uh, it seems like I got involved in the business. And I've seen everything, 91, 92, 26 years, I've pretty much seen everything. Right. Okay. So you've got the six million bucks. You're kind of started at a maybe not not the best time. And I ran it for 18 years, made a lot of money, um, but it, it never liked it. Never really loved running my business. Definitely loved running small businesses because of the scale of, of money management, but never really liked the month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter uh, never aligned with how I would be my best investor. So um, I was always doing other things. So my LPs were were generous in the sense that they were my kind of guinea pigs and, and let me kind of find my strategy over 18 years and, and now uh, basically only manage my own money in the stock market, but uh, have uh, social leverage, which is our seed funds. Right. So this is when you start thinking more about this entrepreneurial side and investing in early stage businesses. Yeah, I mean, obviously my my first hit was investing, 
right at a, right at a grad school right. trip, and came full circle back to that in 2006 uh, and running my hedge fund, a, a kid by the name of Brett Darrow walked into my office with a company called uh, Golf Now and uh, it was called Golf 602 at the time. It was kind of open table for golf. It was, you know, they they uh, built a website, aggregated tee times, and then resold them, kind of like Ticketmaster or Open Table. Mm-hmm. And it's now the largest tee time booking engine in the world. We sold it to Comcast in 2008. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, and then a company called LifeLock at the same time walked into well, the business plan got dropped off in my mailbox actually by a friend and read the business plan and wrote a couple of us wrote uh i don't know we we scrambled together a couple million dollars from friends and invested in lifelock which uh became a public company 10 years later and sold to Symantec. so so in 2006 just confluence of events in phoenix and you know two huge companies walked into my office and i was off to the races after that i just stock market was always interesting to me but i was just so busy with uh passionate around helping these companies grow that even though i didn't have jobs at these companies i was just working full-time right and so why did you get to see those deals like what was it you had money and or or was that the only thing? Part of my part of the lessons there is deals are everywhere. Great founders are in every nook and cranny, from Buffalo to Detroit to uh, you know Hawaii and all around the world. It's just you know I know you know it's just I'm sure it was a little bit of luck, mm-hmm. obviously, and it's just putting the vibe out there. You know, guys that that uh it's same as dating right if some people can if you put the if your lines in the water all day if you're going to bars every night you're gonna find a woman but if you've got your same with fishing when i fished as a young age you had to have the line in the water if you're farting around and talking all day and you're in the, and the bait's not in the water you're not going to catch fish so it's just you know a lot of loser deals along the way that we could talk about but um you know the 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 two good deals back to back kind of walked into my office in Phoenix. Phoenix was booming at the time. Um, there was just a lot happening in, in 2006. Right. Okay. But a little bit of luck. There's always luck. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, okay. So these two deals kind of set you up, but, but talk about some of the, how you got into this, some of this media stuff, the wall strip and, and uh, stock Twitch. Yeah. So media wise, just again, it was just a passion idea. Um, you know, we as traders back in 97, 98, it was all CNBC and street.com. It was like a revolution for, you know, with E-Trade and Daytech and Scott Trade and Schwab in 99, 2000. And so you had millions, millions of new customer accounts, millions of, of traders. You didn't have to use Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. Maybe you did, but you didn't. You were watching CNBC and paying for the street.com and using Yahoo Finance. And so you had this massive onboarding of people, money, and the internet. And so it was a perfect storm for a neck for 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 a generation of investors. And I hated CNBC. And I kinda when YouTube came out in 2006, I was like, well, I'm gonna build CNBC on YouTube. That was kind of the um the aha moment for me. And I was just determined to see if I could create, you know, one show. 
and cold called uh, Fred Wilson, who had invested in the street.com. We had had kind of a relationship through his blog. I was leaving comments and was a regular on his blog, leaving, uh, you know, feedback. And he invested, introduced me to some friends, raised $600,000 in 2006 while I was in Phoenix, started a, and started a show called Wall Strip, which was just kind of like a daily national anthem about trend following and got it cast and crew together. We were making shows for about $2,000 a day, raised 600000 And seven months later, CBS acquired us. So we went from, you know, hiring uh, actors on Craigslist to working for CBS in seven months. And that was kind of the era. That was the beginning of the true Web 2.0, which was magic could happen from anywhere in the world if you if you use the internet properly. Yeah. And that's kind of the last piece of this conversation that I want to talk about is, as you said, millennials are a different breed. You quoted Warren Buffett earlier in this podcast. You're now an investor in Robinhood, but before that you were a traditional stockbroker. So a lot of the people, I would say all of the people listening to this podcast are most likely millennials. How do they invest today? Well, they have to start, right? Like, like I said about, it's up to us. It's up to my kids to come to me. I'm not going to like invest for my kids. You know, my daughter has a Coinbase account and we, we, she adds a little money when they dip and my son is not quite into it yet, even though he's 19. So, it, you know, every kid's different, right? Some kids don't want to learn Spanish or I didn't. And I like the language of the market. So I think the millennials are a, a bit of a disadvantage because all this stuff is not taught in school, right? The language of finance. So I think with Robinhood and Coinbase and uh, like Twitter, Stock Twits, uh, Telegram, WhatsApp, there's all these group Reddit. There's all these group areas for, for kids to get the bug. Uh, and there's all these different markets developing for kids to put money to work. So I think the earlier kids are start saving and, and investing, the better. Um, the great news is, you know, because of Robinhood and Coinbase, and there's tools now for kids to just buy one share of Apple or put 50 bucks in Bitcoin when they're 18 and their own accounts. And that is something that we didn't have the last generation. And then there's a social network where people can go to stock twits and follow me or their, or, or, or like I did with Fred Wilson in the venture capital business, just kind of uh, draft behind really smart people who are sharing ideas all day. Um, they're still going to make the same mistakes. It doesn't, there's only so much you can speed up. You can't learn a language in three days, but you can definitely, it doesn't need to take 20 years. I think I think to get a good basis in the market, you need you know probably seven years. Uh, but during those seven years, you can also you know really save a lot of money. Uh, and so I'm super bullish. I think some of the best investors in the world are, and the wealthiest people in the world are going to be obviously millennials. Um, so I'm super bullish on the next generation. Right, and you talked about just the importance of being invested and that's a Warren Buffett idea. I I really, as much as I like to trade a little bit, uh, you know, I believe in cash or fully invested. Like there's different degrees of being invested, you know, but if you're young, you can, you can be hundred percent invested in stocks and whatever you're interested in. Um, You know, you're going to live forever. I mean, by the time a 20 year old, assuming there's not a natural catastrophe, 20 year olds are going to live till they're a hundred 
Um, and, or at least that's the trend that, that it, you know, feels like is happening globally. Um, and if not in the United States, kids are having access to move wherever they want to move. But, um, I think the more, you know, time is, is, is the biggest factor in, in investing. And so the earlier people start, the better, you know, a lot of it's up to parents and, but for kids, there's no excuse through your social networks that you haven't heard of Robinhood or, or Coinbase. So it's crazy at this stage if you have your first job and don't ha- haven't started saving at a Robinhood. Uh, I, I think that's crazy. And I think millions of people are starting to do that. And so that's exciting. Yeah, that, that is exciting. And that's the power of compounding interest. And you make 10% in the market every year. And after 30 years, there's really something there. But that's very different from the startup investing. And that's kind of more of the, what you were talking about, like the follow your passion thing, like what Jason Calacanis talks about of like, this is how real wealth will be created by, you know, finding a company that will increase a hundred X. So how do you do that? How do you do the startup stuff? You know, when, when you're, when you're young, I think that's even more important. So, so like I said, there's founders, there's great founders in every city. I think, uh, again, it's up to parents, but even my daughter, she's already reading Bloomberg and, and TechCrunch and my blog. And so they, they stumble. Across, I mean, kids, millennials are going to, they're on the web all day, whether it's BuzzFeed or whatever. So they're stumbling across great companies. Um, it's just common sense to, to figure out how to get in touch with the recruiting departments. And now Indeed is such a global company, a public company that, uh, is a recruiting company that a lot of my nephew, one of my nephews already is, is working for indeed and sales. So, so I think young, this younger generation, there's so many recruiting products, you know, I don't even know if you have to go to college as much as, you know, we want our kids to, to graduate. I, I just don't know if you're passionate and have access to the internet, you're going to be able to get a job. And if you can't code, you got to be in sales. So there's two, there's two paths that I see. If you can't code, and you have no design, you know, design skills. And design may fade away as as voice takes over. You have to learn how to use software as as a service. So so you have to learn how to use these, you know, Salesforce, Zendesk. You have to learn how to use these customer support tools. And you get that experience going to work for an enterprise software company right out of school. You know, the IBMs of today are Salesforce, Zendesk, HubSpot, Workday. Um, you know, it's not management consulting or IBM. So you go work for any of these, you know, series A, series B enterprise companies, get the experience using the software and go in through the sales side and customer acquisition side, or you're an engineer and you can pretty much write your ticket these days. So those are the two career paths I recommend, you know, for, for, for people that want to be entrepreneurs. Um, I think we, with the Facebook generation of last, it was all, it was all more about the glamor of starting your own company. I think like Rodney Dangerfield said in, in um, Caddyshack, which was the movie of our era, my era was, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too. (laughs) And applying that to 2018 ditch diggers means it's okay to be a number two or a number 10 or a number hundred at a company. And you can still get wealthy, but I think the smartest way to enter these companies is, you know, ground floor sales and marketing. So, and customer support, you know, talking to the customers, building those relationships is key. And anybody can do that. You don't have to be an engineer. Right. Yeah. That makes awesome sense. I, I love that 
idea. So Howard, let's just kind of start wrapping this up. You haven't talked about stock Twitch and I want to talk, you know, mention how people can follow you, get in touch with you. Uh, so tell us about that and then, and, and we'll, uh, leave it, uh, leave it there. All right. Stock Twitch. I started in, uh, um, 2008. Uh, the idea was Twitter for finance, but at the time in 2008, it was like, you would explain that and people would go, what's Twitter? I think today we don't explain it as Twitter for, for stocks. Basically, StockTwitch is a social network for traders and investors. It was a quick way to build a watch list, uh, including crypto, follow your favorite companies and chime in and chat about them uh, and build a, a network of people that really love stocks. So so that's what StockTwitch is. Now probably the largest social network for traders. About 18 employees. We're in New York. We're hiring. Um, it is a uh, profitable business, and but a small, small company, big footprint. Uh, we have uh, I don't know three hundred thousand logged in uh, people uh, chatting about stocks, and um, and then I have a, my company, Social Leverage, with two partners, and we invest in. Uh, we've raised over three funds, about uh, seventy million, and we invest in software companies, seed stage software. But uh, it's easy to follow me on my blog, howardlinzen.com. And on StockTwits, it's just at Howard Linzen. Same with Twitter. And on StockTwits, I talk about stocks. On Twitter, I talk about anything. And it's easy to reach me by email as well, howard at linzen.com. So cool. Pretty easy to find me. Well, Howard, this was a lot of fun talking with you. I think there's some awesome advice in here. And I just really want to thank you for doing it. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed it, I ask two things. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell all of your friends. That's it. Simple, right? We'll be back in two weeks.